Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of First Christian Church of St. Paul, located in Roseville, Minnesota. We are a congregation of Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, a congregation that is united in Christ for the sake of the world. Join us for worship in person or via our live stream Sundays at 11 a.m. You can learn more about us by going to FCCStPaul.org. Here is this week's sermon. Our text this morning comes from the 23rd chapter of the Gospel of Luke, verses 33-43. When they came to the place that is called the Skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And they cast lot to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching. But the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of God for all the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. London Bridge is down. That phrase was something that people within the government and other high places in the United Kingdom had been waiting to hear for about 60 years. This, it was imagined, this phrase was imagined before we had the internet and social media. It was basically a code. It was a code that told people who needed to know that Queen Elizabeth had died. And behind all of that phrase were contingencies that had been planned. And as I said, they had been planned since the 1960s. And of course, on September 8th of this year, that plan, that phrase, became reality. As Elizabeth, who was the UK's longest reigning monarch, died at the age of 96. And I actually watched this. This was something that had been planned, but the BBC had an announcer who passed a word to the public. He was dressed very much appropriately in black, and he tells the whole thing, tells the announcement, and it all ends with 
the national anthem. At that point, God saved the queen. That set in motion 10 days where the nation went into a time of official mourning. For Americans, this has always been a fascination. We've always had a fascination in some ways with the British royalty. Maybe it's because of our our shared heritage. Of course, we split off from, from the UK. But it's fascinating to see this. And it was amazing to see the crowds that came all over the UK to see the Queen lie in state, especially in London. There were people who would, would basically queue up for up to 12 hours and sometimes over 12 hours just to see the Queen's coffin lie in state. And then her funeral had a gathering, basically probably the largest gathering of world leaders that one has ever seen, as well as representatives from different faiths all around the world. I actually woke up to catch a little of this, of the service, and it was quite a moving event. Mind you, I mean, I had to get up, like I was up, I got five or something in the morning to watch this, but it was interesting to see this. And millions of people lined the route as the, her hearse wound its way from Westminster Cathedral all the way to her final resting place along with her husband, Prince Philip, at Windsor Castle. Now, the British monarchy, in some ways, seems anachronistic, especially in our democratic age. But for millions in the UK and around the world, the Queen's passing meant something. It was the passing of an age in many ways. She was, after all, a queen who came to power as the British Empire was dismantling itself or being dismantled by various movement, independence movements around the world. And she had to learn how to adjust to be queen in a different way. And no doubt her successor and eldest child, King Charles III, is going to have to navigate even more challenging times than his mother did. Thinking about pomp and circumstance surrounding Queen Elizabeth's death is fitting since this is Christ the King Sunday or um, Reign of Christ Sunday. It is considered the last Sunday of the liturgical year. Next Sunday starts the year anew in Advent. And this Holy Day was actually started less than 100 years ago. It was started in 1925 by Pope Pius XI to challenge the church to to remember who is the ruler in our lives. It's interesting to read this text on this day, which we see Jesus as a king, but he is not being feted as a king. In fact, he is subject to ridicule and mockery. And instead of being lifted up as king and lord, he is treated with derision and contempt. In looking at this passage, there are a few key phrases that stand out. The first one is, 
in verse 33 and starting it off. They. The writer of Luke and and later Acts is rather vague as to who this they is referring to. Were they the religious leaders that wanted to find a way to get rid of Jesus? Was it the Roman Empire in the form of the government wanting to rid, uh, be rid of another supposed revolutionary? Was it the soldiers who did the dirty work for the empire and made fun of Jesus while they were at it? Was it the onlookers, the crowd, who saw what was happening but did nothing? We don't really know who they, the writer, is referring to. It could be one of them. It could be, probably more likely, all of them. Because I think the they there is everybody. It's kind of like finding out, you know, the whodunit of, if you've either watched the movie or read the book of Murder on the Orient Express, where everybody was, was, did it, pretty much that's the case here. The they is everybody. It is the religious leaders, the Roman, the Roman leadership, the soldiers, and the crowd. They all had a role. It's, as of, it's kind of like the old hymn, Ah, Holy Jesus, that says, Who was the guilty who brought this upon thee? Alas, my treason, Jesus, hath undone thee. Twas I, Lord Jesus, it was I denied thee. I crucified thee. Everybody had a role in crucifying Jesus. But there is also good news, because even in the midst of being put to death, Jesus offered forgiveness. He pleads to God to not hold these people responsible, but to forgive them. His kingly power was found not in punishing enemies, which is what you would expect, but in forgiving them. Then there is the word save. Actually, it's the phrase, save yourself. Over and over, when someone is mocking Jesus, they ask him to save himself. Why? Why did they say this to Jesus? Well, the biblical scholar Fred Craddock thinks that that this was in some ways calling back to Jesus' temptation. In fact, that it was a temptation. In Luke 4, the devil tempts Jesus. And in verse 9, he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. He was in a high place because he knew that God's angels were going to come and save him. And Jesus does not succumb to the temptation. Jesus could have very well saved himself on the cross, but he did not. That was not his MO. He came to seek and to save the lost. They joked that he saved others, but he didn't save himself. But the important thing here is that he did save others. Those who were there, but also you and me. Jesus did more. Jesus wasn't about saving himself, which is probably sometimes also the MO of a lot of earthly kings. 
but he was about saving all of us. The final phrase that is interesting here is, remember me. That was said by one of the thieves on the cross. One of the other thief decides to join in on the berating, which to me is weird that he would do that. You know, he's kind of dying there too. But he berates Jesus, but the other thief criticizes him. And, tell, and then after all that, he looks at Jesus and tells him, remember me. He didn't ask to be let down from the cross. He didn't ask that he gets to go to heaven. He just wanted Jesus to remember him. And Jesus responds by simply saying that today, now you will be with me. Jesus did more than just remember the man, but he did remember him. He did see him, but he also saved him. These four phrases paint an odd picture of a king. Kings and queens are supposed to be about pageantry and pomp, but what we have here is the pathetic sight of a man being executed by the state and no one is coming to his defense. But this is all part of the upside down kingdom of Jesus. Jesus wins by losing. He saves by expending his own life. Philippians 2 reminds us that Jesus was the king that gave up his power. And in verse 6 through Eight, it reminds us who this Jesus was. It says, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave and assuming human likeness. And being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And verse 11 tells that it was through Jesus' death on the cross that he is given the title of Lord, a ruler that gives up power and dies in order to save the world. Christ the King Sunday reminds us that Jesus is not simply a wise man or a sage or a moral exemplar. Yes, he has elements of those things, but that is not the essence of who he is. That is not the reason we come here to worship. What matters is that he is God. He is king. He is Lord of all. And it is a king who gives up himself in order to bring salvation. But calling Jesus king or Lord has sometimes, especially in our day and age, unsettled folks. For a lot of the reasons that I said earlier, being that we live in a democratic age. We live in a democracy, and talking about kings and kingdoms tend to make us uncomfortable. They may tend to make us think, don't feel uncomfortable because they're rather gendered. And we would rather talk about other ways of seeing Jesus maybe more as an example. The Episcopal priest Fleming Rutledge talks about our modern weariness with the term king or lord. 
And she was talking about the fact that in her day when she was in seminary back in the 1970s, people felt uncomfortable with that. The whole idea, she said, of ruling was suspect in the Woodstock nation, as she writes in her 2018 book simply called Advent. Everything was supposed to be egalitarian and communal, she says. Children are brought up on Barney. I love you, you love me, we're a happy family. Everybody's equal, everybody gets a prize. No more rulers, no more lords, no more kings. But then a funny thing happens. Our culture is still fascinated by kings. She cites, of course, the 1994 movie, The Lion King, which was incredibly uh, popular and was even a very popular musical. She cites that in tw- and 10 years later, in 2004, the best film for that year was the third in the uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy, The Return of the King. We still have a fascination with kings. And she says, Lord, and the Greek word curious, has the same essential meaning as king. They both mean ruler. And she concludes by saying this. When we refer to Jesus as Lord and King, we are expressing faith in Jesus as the Son of God who was and is and will be the ruler of the universe. He is the Alpha and Omega who is, who was and is and is to come, the Almighty. The Jesus on the cross is the one who served and saved others from those who killed him to those who stood by, to you and to me. When we call Jesus king, it is because he is truly the ruler, the one that ultimately defeated death and the one that we are called to follow. As I said earlier, I watched some of Queen Elizabeth's funeral and I remember there was a sermon given by Justin Welby He is the Archbishop of Canterbury, the head of the Worldwide Anglican Communion. And he reminded those gathered that when Elizabeth was a princess, she made a statement at the age of 21 that simply said that she was, but whether her life was long or short, her basically MO, her way of being, was going to be in service to the people. What we did more than just lift up the queen's sense of duty. He also, in his sermon, showed that she was driven to be a servant. And she was driven to be a servant because of her faith. Her faith was grounded in the one who was the king. He quoted Matthew 20 and explained that for her that being a servant was founded on her following the God who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he concludes by saying, people of loving service are rare in any walk of life. 
leaders of loving service are still rarer. But in all cases, those who serve will be loved and remembered when those who cling to power and privileges are forgotten. Queen Elizabeth knew who was the king in her life. Christ the King Sunday prepares us for Advent. And Advent is in itself a time of preparation as we prepare for the arrival of this different kind of king. We remember the one who acted as a servant in order to bring salvation. And in the coming weeks, we will see why this king comes to earth. Today, we remember the one who saves, who forgives, and who remembers all of us. Thanks be to God. Amen. We hope this week's sermon was nourishment for your soul. If you would like to listen to past sermons, watch past worship services, leave a prayer request, or get directions to our worship location, please visit our website at fccstpaul.org. May God be with you on your daily journey.